me and Brother Jr. alone in a room, and this is not the setting that I wanted for our second week of our new location, and that's for sure. Because of two positive COVID tests this past weekend, uh, at the uh, last minute, we made a decision to not hold in-person gatherings this morning. And that decision was made in part because there was no standard already established before the individuals tested positive. I've worked this week to remedy that problem, and now we have a set of procedures that's going to go into effect immediately so that hopefully there's going to be less confusion going forward. This is not ideal. We're all trying to navigate this the best that we can. Obviously, I did not want our second week after six months of spending my life renovating this place. I did not want our second week to be an empty place and me be talking to a camera. I'm thankful that you've joined us. I'm grateful that you continue to give online. I encourage you to do that. Obviously, we won't be here today to take up an offering in person. Uh, we encourage you to continue to give online, uh, or you can give next week, because next week, barring anything happening and the Lord not having other plans, we're going to be in person uh, next Sunday here at 1030. So, um, I've worked this week to come up with a procedure and a plan, and I'm going to let you know what that is now so that we will know how we're operating moving on from this morning. So it's apparent by now that this virus is not going anywhere unless God sends a miracle sometime soon. And in fact, it seems like the numbers are on the rise. We're in the middle of flu season, and it's cold outside, and more and more people are going home for holidays. And it's very likely and even probable from what they're saying that there's going to be more and more people infected by this virus as the days pass. Most of us, if we're out anywhere at all, are probably in close proximity to this thing if we go out in public and may not even know it. You don't know who has it. That's one of the, the dangers of this thing. What I've been noticing is that most department stores or grocery stores and other places of business do not close down every time that there's someone that's infected shopping there. As a matter of fact, they very likely don't even know that someone brought it in to the place of business. So I've took that into consideration. I've talked with healthcare people. And now that the CDC is actually saying that 14 days of, uh, of quarantine is probably not needed. It's more like 7 to 10 days. If you are exposed to it, you're supposed to be seeing symptoms before then. So I do not intend going forward to shut the church down again due to someone being here worshiping on Sunday and then later testing positive. What I intend to do is treat you like adults. And if we learn that someone worshiped here on Sunday and then later tested positive, I'll try my best to make an announcement and let everybody make up their own minds whether they feel safe enough to attend that following Sunday. If you don't feel safe enough to intend, then we will also have what we're offering this morning, which is our online experience, and you can join us that way. We have no midweek service in the house, so six to seven days will have passed uh, between anyone being possibly infected or exposed, and so we will continue to have Sunday services and do our best to navigate it week to week without planning on shutting down anymore. We do take this situation seriously, however, 
And that's one of the reasons that we feel safe with this decision because of the precautions that we continue to take while we're here in the house. Now, the governor of West Virginia has asked everyone in public buildings to wear a mask. So we're going to ask everyone who joins us in service uh, to, that is nine years old and above to please wear a mask while you're here in the building until the governor relaxes that mandate. We're still going to socially distance. We still have our seating set up in order to do that. We're still going to dismiss row by row. We're still not going to ask you to uh, congregate inside the building. If you want to congregate outside, then that's up to you. And we're also going to ask you to please refrain from physical contact. We're going to again stress that if you're exhibiting any symptoms of sickness, to stay home, to enjoy the online experience if you have some kind of a fever or you're worried that you may have been exposed to somebody. And if we follow these precautions, we feel confident that, that we can remain open for in-person gatherings, which is what we all want. This thing has just about aggravated me to death. I'm going to be honest with you. I need to be here. I need to be in church. I need to be around God's people. I need to be in, in an atmosphere of worship. It's hard to get up here and just preach cold without a praise team to lead us into worship. And I need to be in the presence of God's people. And all of us need to be in a place where healing is flowing and, and, and God's anointing is flowing. So please continue to pray. Please don't get upset when decisions are made because we've never led through a pandemic before. There's no book to read. There's no class to take. We're doing the very best that we can. We're trying to keep you protected, and we're also trying to keep the doors open. So beginning next Sunday, we will resume our in-person services, and we'll plan to do that as long as nothing drastic happens and nothing significant changes. And if that is the case, then we'll examine it at that time. But we, as of right now, do not plan to uh, go back online just because someone was here and then later tested positive. I hope I have made that plain, and if not, feel free to uh, ask questions on Facebook, and we will do our very best to answer them in a timely manner. Now, I'm not going to keep you very long this morning because I realize how difficult it is to stay engaged when you're not here in the sanctuary. That's one of the downfalls of trying to worship from home is it's hard to stay engaged because there's so many other distractions. So today I'm beginning a new series, and the series is titled Life Beyond Ordinary. Now I need to give you a little bit of backstory to this sermon series because in this series, we're going to be looking at several of the miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth. It's very uplifting. It's very encouraging. It's very empowering, this series, because uh, we're going to spend most of our time not only looking at the historical aspect of his miracles, but what his miracles mean for us today. I want you to know how to live in the overflow of God's blessings. I want you to know how to walk out his blessings day by day and have victory in your life. I want you to live a life that reaches beyond the ordinary life. And I believe that that's God's plan for us. And I, I had this day and this series set up in just such a way. I was ready to jump into John chapter 2, and I was going to teach you from the wedding at Cana about Christ turning water into wine, and we were going uh, we to experience his very first public miracle together. 
And we were going to jump into this series with the mindset that what he did then, he can still do now. But I spent a lot of time in prayer yesterday. And I had already laid out the background for this series. I had the first two sermons completely written. And then God got me out of John chapter 2 and led me to John chapter 6. And I had to then go home last night and write a brand new introductory sermon for this series. I asked God, why are you doing this to me? I've already got the whole series laid out. I've already got the first two sermons written. Why are you changing this at the last moment and making me preach something that I haven't even had time to prepare? And I realized that in John chapter 6, he's teaching me, and he's going to teach you, that before we can have any hope of living a blessed life, if we have any hope of living a life in God's overflow, we are first going to need to check ourselves. We're going to first need to evaluate how devoted we are to Him because there is a huge difference in being attracted to miracles and being in love with Jesus. I realize as I read John chapter 6, and if you have your Bibles, that's where I'm going to be taking my text from. I realized as I was reading John chapter 6, that a lot of people come to church and flirt with Jesus, but they never fall in love with him. We've got far too many Christian people that are having one-night stands with the Holy Spirit, but they're not entering into a covenant or a committed relationship with him. And that's what I want to deal with this morning, because before I can lead you into blessing, I have to first make sure that your heart is right, that your, your, your heart is in tune with the heart of the master. So John chapter 6 beginning with verse 59. Allow me first to give you some background. Jesus has done some of his biggest miracles. Excuse me. He has performed some of his biggest miracles and he has done it in short order. He's fed the multitude. He's walked on water. He's calmed the storm. Jesus has done some tremendous miracles. And then, as he gets a group of people gathered together, he begins to teach. When the miracles stopped and the teaching began, the people started listening to the words of Jesus instead of seeing his demonstration of power. And what he was teaching them was difficult for them to understand. He said, I'm the bread of life that has come down from heaven. You need to eat of me. You need to drink my blood or you have no part of me. And verse 59 says, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? It's amazing to me how we're so quick to accept miracles, but we're so slow to respond to the word. Verse 61 says, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. I wish I could preach a whole sermon right there. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? That's a whole sermon in and of itself. He's always aware when his disciples are complaining. Verse 62, then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? 
The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones did not believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people cannot come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. That's, that's where I'm going to preach from this morning. At this point, many of his disciples, notice it did not say the drunks, the skunks, or the punks. Notice it says that these were people who were his disciples. These were folk that gathered in church every Sunday. These were people who sang on the praise team and taught uh, in the nursery. and People who were on the church and building committee. These are people who were in it to win it at one point. And they turned away and deserted him. And it's as if Jesus' heart is all of a sudden drawn to the ones that are still there because in verse 67 it says, then Jesus turned to the 12. They didn't leave. A lot of the other ones did, but the 12 were still there. And he said, are you also going to leave me? And Simon Peter, verse 68, said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. So the very thing that offended the multitudes and caused them to walk off was the very thing that made Peter stay, the Word. The Word was offensive to the multitudes. Jesus stopped showing off, and he started teaching the Word, and the Word became offensive to many, and they left him. But the very thing that caused them to leave caused Peter to stay. He said, it's the Word that I'm here for. It's the word that's drawn me to you. It's the word that's going to keep me. You have the words that I need to hear, so I'm going to stay here. Even though the word gets hard sometimes, even though the word is difficult on occasion, I'm going to stick it out because the word is what I need even when the word doesn't feel good. See, as long as Jesus was showing off, everybody was on board. As long as Jesus was feeding the multitudes and walking on water and doing grandiose demonstrations of power, people were showing up in droves. He fed the multitude. And when he fed the multitude, people wanted to make him a king. Go back and read your Bible. You'll see that Jesus had to go up on a mountain to get away from the people because they were trying to make him a king because he was showing off. So the disciples go, Jesus is on the mountain, the disciples go get in a boat, and they ride into a storm, and much preaching has come from that story. Jesus comes walking to them, walking on the water, and then the boat makes it safely to the other side. The people who had been fed, the multitude, probably around 20,000 people had been fed. When they looked up, they said, where did Jesus go? They were finished with their fishes and loaves, and they were hungry for more. Not hungry for more fish, Hungry for more blessing. Mm, they were hungry for more miracles. What they weren't hungry for was to hear the truth, to hear the word. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted Jesus to keep doing what he was doing, not to challenge them. And so the Bible says that all of these people began looking for Jesus, but Jesus has went to the other side of the sea because the disciples were in a storm. He walked on the water, and then him and the disciples made it over to the other side in Capernaum. And the Bible says that these people who had been fed 
wanted to be with Jesus. So they went and got in their own boats, crossed all the way over to the other side of the sea, and sat down and said, here we are, Jesus. We, we thought we lost you. We found you. Thank God that you're still here. Jesus, we're going to sit right here and listen to what you have to say. And a crowd gathers, and the very first conversation that he has with them, he turns them off so bad that the Bible says they got back on the next boat and went home. Ain't it funny how fickle people can be? How people can appreciate you one minute and can't tolerate you the next? Ain't it funny how we treat God that way? How we love him as long as he is showing up and showing off. But the minute that he does something we don't appreciate, the moment that the word gets hard, the moment we begin to be challenged to leave something behind, to grab hold of something better, we get offended at him and we won't tolerate him any longer. People will chase you down and then you will offend them by saying something or doing something and they'll forget they even liked you in the first place. We do the same thing with God. So before I can teach you how to live your, your blessed life, before I can teach you how to live in the overflow, before I can teach you how to live your life beyond ordinary, I need to address the spirit of this age. And this is what I'm going to address today. The spirit of what do I get out of this? There are far too many selfish people in the world today that get into relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship or a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and the question always is, is what do I get out of this? Paul warned Timothy that this was going to be the spirit of our age. He said, in the last days, perilous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves. It doesn't say they're going to love God or love others or love orphans or love widows. It says they're going to love themselves. They're going to love money. They'll be boasters and proud and blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. What happens when you fall in love with yourself? You don't have any self-control. So you do what you want to do instead of what God wants to do. You'll be brutal, he says, despisers of good, traitors and headstrong, haughty. And here's the, here's the last uh, jab that Paul gives us, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you realize that that means that you can have one, but you can't always have both? You can love pleasure as long as it's godly pleasure. But Paul says that folk are going to, in the last days, which I believe we're living in, people are going to love pleasure more than they're going to love God. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. That's going to be the rest of my sermon today, talking about how we are lovers of pleasure above loving God. We want God to bless us, but we don't want to ignore pleasure to chase Him. You'd be surprised at how many folk go to church all the time but they don't really hear the word. They go to church every time the doors are open, but they've never fallen in love with God. Because where your treasure, that's where your heart is. Find your treasure, you'll find your heart. And if you're chasing pleasure, even though you know it's hurting your heavenly Father, if you're chasing pleasure and you know it's hurting your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where your treasure is. 
That's where your heart is. You may be sitting in church on Sunday, but your heart is far from him. Mm. This is the first obstacle that we have to overcome if we want to finish this race and make it to heaven. Because people are coming to church constantly, and they don't realize that the devil has stolen the trip. They came to church, but it did not benefit them because the devil has stolen their faith. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you can sit in church and never hear the word. You can sit in a pew and never fall in love with Jesus Christ. So when you have, how do I know that? Because when you have faith in the word, it's as if God has written you a blank check. If you're going to live life beyond ordinary, you're going to have to have faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith will mature because you hear a mature word. However, you can't just snatch blessings and ignore the word. That's what these folks was trying to do. They wanted to live in the overflow. But God doesn't want you living in just the overflow if you're not willing to get up close and personal with him. He wants you to sit by his side. He wants you to rest your head in his bosom. He wants you to fall in love with him, and then you can have the overflow. These people are a lot, a lot like the people uh, that are lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure that we have in church today. We want God to overflow blessings on us, but we have never fallen deeply in love with him. So you can't have it without faith, and you can't have faith without the word, and you have to appreciate the word when it's good and when it's difficult. When it challenges you and makes you grow, you have to appreciate that word because it's giving you faith, and by faith you can have life beyond the ordinary. See, when you believe that God has promised you something, you will start living different. Many of us want to continue because we're lovers of ourselves and we're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We want to continue living our life the way we want to, but then we also want to snatch the blessings that God says we can have. But I'm going to tell you something this morning, and none of you are here to get angry with me, but you can just click off the Internet if you don't like it. If your relationship with God does not change how you're living, how you're talking, how you're thinking, you have not fallen in love with Jesus Christ. You are still living without faith. And you do not have the right or the authority to claim blessings if the Holy Ghost just turned the lights on on these Christmas trees or it was Kristen back home. I'm not sure which one it was. We'll say it was Kristen. If it was Holy Ghost, he can check me later. There's a lot of people in church that are trying to protect their reputation but not their character. There's a lot of people that go to church on Sunday and they worry about what people think about them because they're worried about protecting their reputation. Your reputation is what other people say about you. Your character is what God knows about you. Your character is created in the decisions you make, how you live your life, who you are in the dark when nobody is watching you but God. That's your character. And you need to be more concerned about your character than your reputation because if your character is right, your reputation will be okay. What will really be revealed is whether or not we are committed to God or we're committed to watching God. Because if you're not joined to His Word, if you're not really joined to Jesus, it will eventually show up. Commitment's something that we don't preach about in the church today. Because it's not something we see much of anymore. 
Preachers are afraid to preach on commitment because they know that there are people sitting in the pews that have no commitment in any area of their life. And they're afraid that they'll get offended at them because that's what they do when the word gets hard. They did it to Jesus and they'll do it to preachers today. Commitment is something we don't see much of anymore. We still have ceremonies about commitment, but most people don't take them serious anymore. I've had many weddings where people showed up for the wedding, and I asked the groom, do you take her? And he said yes. And I asked the bride, do you take him? And she said yes. But one or both of them did not mean it because they did not take them forever until death did them part. They took them until it got difficult. They took them until they didn't want to take them anymore. They're excited, but they're not committed. They're careful, but they're not committed. They've made a lot of plans, but they've not made a commitment. I hope this is getting through to somebody this morning. Whether it's marriages or jobs or raising kids or church membership, I see more people looking for convenience than I do looking for commitment. We go through the ceremony of being committed, but as soon as it becomes too much work to stay committed, we start looking for a loophole. We start looking for an exit strategy. One of the obvious things in the church world, this is, I'm going to let you behind the veil just a little bit. One of the things that preachers have discovered, because we're talking behind closed doors, since COVID has shut the churches down, for three months at a, at a time, at least three months in our area. Some, t- some places was even longer than that. It revealed how many people were excited about church, but they weren't excited about Jesus. They were excited about seeing miracles, but they weren't committed to a relationship with Christ. We are seeing exposed how many people were lovers of themselves while they were singing on stages and they were teaching classes and they were paying tithes every week, but they were really lovers of pleasure. They were lovers of themselves. See, there's a difference between not wanting to go to hell and wanting to be committed to Jesus. I need to get this out there. Because there's a lot of people, capital L, capital O, capital T, a lot of people who come to church every Sunday because they don't want to go to hell. But as soon as it comes to giving up their own way, they leave. Because they don't want to go to hell, but they also don't want to give up their own way. Do you know what Matthew's gospel teaches us? Matthew 16 and 24. You've heard it in the King James like this. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone should follow me, they should deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves. That is great and that is poignant, but there's another translation that says it like this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me. Give up your own way. So there's a lot of people that gather every Sunday, and this is what COVID revealed. They don't want to go to hell, but they don't want to give up their own way. They want to serve God as long as it doesn't interfere with their own way. And if it does interfere with their own way, read your Bible. I just read it to you from John chapter 6. They leave. They left Jesus 
Because he was challenging them to give up their own way. So before I spend the next six weeks teaching you about miracles, teaching you about life beyond ordinary, teaching you how to have a blessed home, teaching you how to have a blessed marriage, teaching you how to have a blessed health life, I need you to check yourself. I need to check myself. When it comes to giving up my way for his way, am I willing to do it? Because if I'm not... I can't live beyond ordinary because that is ordinary. Most folk are not willing to give up their own way to follow his way. That's what ordinary people do. And if I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to challenge you to give up your own way to follow his way. And I've got four examples that I'm going to read to you this morning from Scripture. Four different examples of people following Jesus. Four different opportunities that people had to follow Jesus, and they all did it in a different way. I want to see if you can identify yourself this morning in any of these followers. Some people follow Jesus like the lepers did. Luke chapter 17 says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. They cried to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They stood at a distance and they cried for him to heal them. These are the kind of people that follow Jesus from a distance and they cry whenever something is falling apart. But the Bible says he healed ten of them, nine ran away, and he never saw them again. One came back to give him praise. So they cry when everything is falling apart, but they don't have much use for him once their life gets back on track. That's the first erroneous way to follow Jesus. Then there's people who come to church every Sunday and they follow Jesus like Zacchaeus. Oh, you know the story of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a man who was short in stature and he was the tax collector in the region. He was very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but because he was too short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So the Bible says he ran ahead of Jesus. Uh. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree. And he waited for Jesus to pass by. And he was willing to see Jesus, but he wanted to keep him at a distance. These are curious people. They want to see what's happening. They want to know what Jesus is doing. But they want to keep some distance between them and where they're living and Jesus. Because they know if Jesus gets too close, he's going to start messing with their life. So they're curious they want to see Jesus. They want to see everything Jesus is doing, but they don't want to get too close to him. Mm. And then there's people who follow Jesus, like our friend Judas. Matthew chapter 26 says, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelves, went to the leading priest, and this is what he asked them. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Verse 16 says this, From that time on, Judas began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He began to look for an opportunity. 
These are the people that follow Jesus until a better opportunity comes along. They hide in the church. They say the right things. They act like Christians act, but they're looking for an opportunity to betray him. Oh, they're not going to do it on purpose. They're not intending to do it. But these are the people that will eventually leave Jesus. I don't care how good Jesus is is to them because they have their own agenda. And when things get hard, when he starts challenging them to give up their own way, they're not going to follow him. That's why when Jesus looked at Judas, he says, what you're going to do, go do it quickly. Because Judas was a goer. He looked at Peter and said, will you leave me too? And Peter said, no, I'm not leaving you. Judas was a goer. I'm a stayer. Child of God, are you a goer or are you a stayer? When he starts challenging you to give up your own way, are you a Judas or are you a Peter? Are you a goer or are you a stayer? Are you going to stick it out with Jesus even when he tells you you've got to leave some stuff? You've got to give up some stuff? If you're going to live beyond the ordinary, you're going to have to give up your own way. I really, really like this. I've had it my, I really want it. But you're going to have to give it up. Are you a goer or are you a stayer? See, Judas loved having access to Jesus. But he's not willing to give up his connection to the enemy. He was sitting at the table with the Lord and he's still texting the Roman soldiers. He's sitting at the table with Jesus about to take communion. And he's got, he's got private messages going on with the Roman soldiers telling them where they can betray him at. Because Judas can reach either side from where he sits. Are you a goer? Are you a stayer? Are you all in or are you just hanging around the table of the Lord? Lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Which leads me to the last group of people I'm going to preach about this morning. And this is the crowd that gathered outside of Pilate's hall. Jesus is on trial. He's been drugged from courtroom to courtroom. And early in the very early in the morning, Pilate comes out on the balcony. He does not want to condemn Jesus to death. And he says to the crowd, It is your tradition that on this day I will release one prisoner to you. I have two for you to choose from. Do you want me to release Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, or do you want Barabbas, who is a murderer and an insurrectionist? And the people said, give us Barabbas. Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas is a troublemaker. Barabbas is a thief and a liar and a murderer. If they release Jesus, if they choose Jesus, he will bring them peace and he will bring them healing and he will bring them wholeness and he will bring them salvation. And if they choose Barabbas, Barabbas will bring them danger And they chose Barabbas. Why would anyone choose the enemy over Jesus? Why would anybody choose the one who seeks to do you harm 
instead of the one who seeks to heal you? Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or the other guy? Jesus or the temptation? Jesus or a temporary fix for your lonely condition? Jesus or that one little lie that you're going to try to get away with? Jesus or that thing that you do behind closed doors and you hope nobody said? Jesus or that that moment in time where you feel like you were just weak and you gave in to temptation just that one time. Jesus, the one who will build you up or the one who will tear you down. Do you choose Jesus or Barabbas? See, these are the people that love Jesus until they find somebody else to give their affection to. How many people in church today come to church all the time. They pay tithes. They serve on the deacon board. They work in the nursery. They pray in the altar. They sing the songs. And then somebody winks at them and they're willing to throw the whole thing away. How many people in church today would trade Jesus for Barabbas? We have no understanding of our responsibility to this relationship. We want God to give to us and give to us and give to us. But we don't realize that we have to first give ourselves to him. i got to deny my own way and follow him. And nobody's teaching this stuff. And somebody has to put the brakes on and arrest this crazy generation who wants to take everything from God and give him nothing back. Jesus said, will you go away too? Peter said, where will I go? You have the words of life. Did you notice Peter didn't say you can walk on water? He can, you know. Peter had seen it. He, notice he didn't say you can calm the storm. He can do that, you know. Peter had watched him do it. He didn't say you can raise the dead or cleanse the leper. Even though Jesus can do all of those things, and Peter had seen him do it, Peter didn't focus on them. What Peter said was, the most important thing you have for me is the Word. I can't leave this Word. I can walk away from you walking on water because the miracle stops looking so great when the Word starts piercing my heart. Peter said, I can walk away from Lazarus coming out of a tomb, but this word, this word, i got to hold on to this word because if I'm going to live beyond ordinary, I've got to love the word more than I love the blessing. I've got to follow his word. I've got to choose him over Barabbas. Barabbas is going to tear you down. Barabbas is going to hurt you. Barabbas is going to take you away from the one who wants to heal you. Who is your Barabbas? What is your Barabbas? What are you willing to trade your relationship with Jesus Christ for? That's your Barabbas. Who is so fine? Who is so funny? Who has all the things you want in a person that you're willing to trade your relationship with Jesus for Barabbas? Will you leave him too? 
I hope there's somebody under the sound of my voice watching this morning that says, I've got to have this word. Yes, I want his blessings. Yes, I, I adore his, his uh, when he shows up and shows off and the Holy Spirit starts. But I've got, I love this word. The word is the thing that's going to take me to heaven. The word is the thing that's going to sustain me. The word, even when it challenges me and causes me to change and leave my own way to follow him. I love this word. Do you love the word more than you love Barabbas? You want to live beyond ordinary? Yet you got to leave your own way. You got to follow Him. And there's only one way to do that, and that's with His Word. See, people are so unsettled today. They jump from job to job, relationship to relationship. They meet somebody on Monday, and by Thursday they're in love, and then they wonder why nothing works out for them. They move out of houses all the time. They buy car after car after car. They're always starting school and quitting school and starting new projects and setting new goals. They're unsettled because they haven't ever made commitment. And God is calling us, especially in these last days, to make commitment to him. God says, I'm totally committed to you. I gave you my one and only son. I don't have another one. I gave you the one I had because I'm totally committed to you. Now, will you choose him over Barabbas? Will you choose him over your own way? When the word starts getting hard and it starts challenging you to let go of the stuff that you really, really, really want because it's not what God really, really wants for you, will you choose to follow him, or will you leave him too? My prayer is that through this season of COVID, the one positive thing for the church has, has been that we've, we've become more committed to the word, more committed to leaving our own desires, more committed to cutting Barabbas loose and choosing Jesus. And if that's you today, I hope you'll respond in the comments of this sermon while you're watching. I hope you'll, you'll respond and say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. Enough Barabbas. Enough of my own way. I choose Jesus. Father, I pray right now for every person that has listened to this word today. I pray for every person that will receive it later. I pray that this word will settle into the spirits and the minds and the hearts of every person that you have led this way. I believe that nothing is done by accident, that you have a purpose and a plan for everything. And God, every person that needed to hear this will or already has heard this, and we are right now choosing Jesus. We're going to choose him over every Barabbas that tries to distract us. We're going to live life beyond ordinary because we are not going to be like everyone else that is lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We are going to live extraordinary lives because we are going to choose Jesus over Barabbas. We're going to choose Jesus over our own way. We're going to choose Jesus over our own pleasures. And we're going to do it today, and we'll do it again tomorrow. And every day that you allow us to live, God, we're going to choose 
Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Let this word settle in their spirits and let the Holy Spirit seal it upon their hearts and minds. Amen and amen. God bless you. I wish you were here. We're going to be here Sunday. If the Lord doesn't rapture us and something drastic doesn't happen, we're going to be here. I invite you to come and be with us. We're going to socially distance. We're going to have masks on. We're going to continue to have our kids' programs, and we're going to continue to worship around the altar, and we're going to worship from the praise team, and we're going to worship with the Word, and we're going to choose Jesus. We're going to do it today, and we're going to do it again tomorrow and next Sunday and every day that he allows us to live. We'll choose Jesus. God bless you. Promise of victory. I love you. I hope to see you Sunday. Goodbye.